Hello, Wall. Welcome to the Lunar Sea Spire Cartoon Fan Podcast. This is episode 460, and today we'll be talking about both parts of the Awakening from Unicorn Warriors Eternal. I'm GC13. And I'm David. So we uh, we start the series and the podcast episode up with uh, with a two-parter. Really puts the the miniseries on solid footing. I I really didn't know what to expect uh, from this. Like I missed Primal with Tartakovsky. I also finally can say his last name correctly. I the the promo art was extremely mysterious because you're like, why is there an elf and a weird perfectly circular steampunk robot in the same image and i don't know if these first two episodes entirely clarified for me exactly what i was going to get into when i first saw them <laughs> no no they did not <laughs> um, it, it tries its best i it feels like the little intro that they play to kind of set up the the story is almost put there because they're worried that you're going to get lost <laughs> early on or like maybe not understand exactly what you're supposed to be watching. So they set up the premise very, very quickly, showing us all of the original incarnations of a bunch of ancient warriors who vaguely protect, I guess, the Earth from evil and for some reason are coordinated by Merlin. And then we just see them fight something that I guess is evil and always looks the same. Like, I guess it's not all evil. It's just a specific green spiritual evil well it takes different forms depending on the uh the era yeah and then we make it to modern day where um we're just thrown into 1890 (laughs) the yes the modern ish era technology superior yet not superior to ours classic steampunk stuff and immediately we kind of slow down (laughs) the plot and slow down the pacing and we get some very classic (laughs) for gendy hilarious wedding scene where we get introduced to emma and her hilarious i guess still fiance winston yep the 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 it was not made official um he didn't even uh ask them he didn't even offer them their vows they they had just got the got the party started now i like that you mentioned that the wedding was hilarious because (laughs) as uh you can tell gendy was the guy behind samurai jack because as serious as this show is it includes a lot of like laugh out loud funny stuff in it, and even stuff that doesn't that isn't gonna make you laugh, but just stuff that's gonna make you smile, like Emma's dad struggling to <laughs> hold back his tear in this coach there. So this is the strangest part about the series, and especially in the this intro, it's hard to get a sense of like the specific audience because unlike Samurai Jack or Primal, this is very cartoony and a lot of the humor is based in that cartooniness like it's funny enough to see uh, a man struggle to cry not to cry you know haha gender norms but more importantly he just looks ridiculous and his accent is very boisterous and ridiculous you know scottish kind of like what one of the funniest characters in samurai jack but um yes it's it's a pretty big contrast especially when we talk about the second part of this intro with the giant dead resurrected war elephant, um, which is an amazing. Lulu! <laughs> like, I can't believe I'm even saying that right now. Uh, yes, there is a giant war elephant when 
And by the way, why are war elephants so popular in cartoons? Adventure Time made me aware of this being a thing. <laughs> it's not a war elephant. It was a pet elephant. I guess, yes. Pet elephant become war elephant. Its corpse is a little more suited for <laughs> war uh, due to the reanimation, however. But it is like that wedding scene really introduces us to this severe contrast in tone where it is very goofy. Like we're being you know, exposed to all these very silly attendees and we're watching this very silly priest with a giant nose put these two people together and it's all very saccharine. And then when Copernicus the robot comes in and, you know, takes over, (laughs) you know, Emma's soul, not just her body, but, you know, this conflict in her soul. And it's also, it's both melodramatic, but also actually dramatic. Like you're both supposed to think like oh how silly winston is silly while at the same time thinking oh my god this is such an important moment in these people's lives and what the heck is happening this is you know not cool that emma's losing her life except well it's very confusing exactly how much control or not control she has and all this you know identity conflict that's happening so like, who is it? <laughs> who is it for? Is this just the show for the hardcore Gendy fans? It's it's curious. Yeah, the, it, this was originally meant to be a series that was much longer, but I guess it was you get 10 episodes or none at all, so he cut it down savagely to make it work. So I, I think in the end, it's a very enjoyable experience, but it also just makes you wonder mm, what could have been. <laughs> it's fascinating. Like, if he could have just got two 13-episode seasons, this would have been so different, I think. Right. Well, and it definitely... That's why the premise starts where it does. Because this story is going to be about Emma, right? So the scale maybe appears large in that, that first minute, but then we narrow it, right, really, to this is going to be a character journey about how Emma deals with having her body taken over. And yeah, there's some larger questions about why is Copernicus taking over seemingly the wrong people for the job this time around? What's happening with this cat lady? It sounds like she wants to stop the reincarnation cycle, but it doesn't seem like she's influencing Copernicus's poor choices. So, you know, that's that's fun, but it, it's ultimately a very tight character story. I like that, and it definitely made it compelling for my... uh Oh, what's the what's the term called? Um, <laughs> my captive audience, but also my uh, test audience. I can't remember what that's called in <laughs> network television production, but the audience you test against. Just a, just a little clarification. Uh, she may look like a cat lady, but we'll find out uh, yes. quite soon. <laughs> uh, episode four, she is not, in fact, a cat lady. But <laughs> that's true. In this episode, I was thinking cat. I don't think you're crazy for calling her that in this episode. She is a much foxier lady than that, yes. I actually thought she looked a little mousy myself, but uh, I I think we were both surprised as to her true identity. (laughs) Yeah. Also, it's really hard to tell at first, like, is this Melinda? Is this Emma? As the series goes on, they'll make it much more clear who's driving in this arrangement. But uh, right now, all we know is that she is not right. She immediately says, I am not Emma, but she seems to remember everything that Emma went through. So that makes it hard for her. It makes it really hard for Edrin. 
Like, he just so happens to really like her, and we'll find out later in the series, he gave up a lot for her. Yes. <laughs> so, but, uh, again, we'll get there uh, when we get there, but uh, Edred starts the series off so insufferable. <laughs> you mean as the magician, or just the fact that he's a sycophantic romantic? Oh, no. Dynamo was great. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. as the as the jilted lover. Oh, right. just, uh, Come on, man. Yeah, I guess actually not sycophantic. He's very, he's crooning. Is that the right word? But he's... He's pining is what he uh, is. Really trying to get her back into shape. <laughs> like, he wants his love back. And he's very confused. Yep, and again, you can completely sympathize with him, but at the same time recognize that he is a huge jerk at the start of the series. <laughs> but mm, I mentioned I mentioned that there were wonderful hilarious laugh-out-loud moments throughout this series. I think my favorite one from these two episodes is when they've disguised Copernicus. Uh-huh. He's got the poncho on, he's got the top hat, he's got the got the mustache, and he's just walking, and then you see there's the dude who looks just like him next to him, and they raise their caps to each other. Mm. <laughs> Glorious. And this is in the same episode where I'm wondering... Uh, is Copernicus gonna rip this horrifying <laughs> now war elephant's tail off? As I'm watching all these various shots where its bones and rib cage and broken skull are all faced. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I was sure that that tail was gonna split in half. They even showed you the part where the tail was damaged, where the, the rip would occur, but... They were kind, and they did not tear the tail off. No, but it's like they're trying to make you cringe during the episode. So, very entertaining that all these things are happening. But yeah, Copernicus is, in one sense, such a silly robot guy. He makes so many doots and noises, and, you know, he even wins over Emma a little bit by helping (laughs) air dry her clothing after coming out of the water. Yes, I I liked that. I think she was on his side before that, but that little bit of consideration mm-hmm. for her, she she appreciated that. I like that you mentioned that he speaks in all the, the steam whistles and whatnot, because much like the first episode of Bee and Puppycat, I tried to watch with just the no, I don't want any subtitles on. Um, I did not realize we were supposed to understand what Puppycat <laughs> was trying to say uh, with Copernicus. You know, I'm kind of interested in what he's trying to say. I think, you know, they make it clear the gist of what he's uh, saying through the way the characters respond to him. But mm, I don't know. I just thought of being Puppycat. What with the... I can't understand (laughs) you. (laughs) That would be extremely surprising if Copernicus had dialogue in this one. Because it definitely is intended for the audience to sometimes have no idea what he's saying. Including the joke that gets made here where, yeah, Emma has no idea what he's saying. Um, but yeah, he has one curious line of dialogue that of course we don't hear, but Edred does, which is that he says, like he, he, he tells him that Emma doesn't have her memories back quite yet. I don't know, something about the presentation of the information, or at least the way that Edred received it, made it seem like Copernicus isn't even totally aware of why the warriors aren't returning as they normally would. Like, I, it seems like this is actually unintentional, but we don't really know, yeah. or at least I don't know what drives Copernicus to make these decisions, because I only watched up through episode six so far. So, uh... <laughs> I'll tell you this, I've seen everything except the final episode, and I am 
none the wiser. <laughs> yeah, figures. So um, there's a there's a big finish out there for me. I don't know how much in the way of answers I should expect. Now, I have a question for you uh, about Merlin. In this, the, the way he's drawn when he, you know, comes through that so portal ugly. with Copernicus. <laughs> he, yeah, he looks ugly. He looks mean and Grungy. evil. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, were they trying to fake us out or were they were they trying to just make him look hardcore or were they just trying to play against type? I don't yeah. know what the, what the intention was for him, but I was immediately suspicious of him because it's like, oh, they only draw evil characters like this. Yes. Well, yeah, it's the dark circles around the eyes and then he is kind of almost threatening something evil he's like oh thanks for fighting this evil for me uh i'm gonna keep your souls reincarnated to do bidding for me except i won't be there ever i think there's something about (laughs) getting people to do things for you but not actually showing up and helping in the fight that is you know suspect (laughs) you know he's a wizard he's got stuff to do (laughs) yeah so yeah, that was that was my first suspicion. Is is Merlin behind this all? And so I don't think he is. But again, we'll we'll get to the episodes uh, later on that kind of give us a clue what's what's going on here. Yeah, but uh, that'll be weeks in the future. That, yeah, and so <laughs> yeah, it's interesting to think about what's being answered or what's not. There's so much here, again, in these characters that I'm sure will be unfulfilled in this short amount of time. We uh, meet Alfie, and there's just this whole (laughs) interesting thing going on with this school for orphan boys that is an island in the middle of... Like, what is this, Alcatraz? I don't understand why this school's out on an island in the middle of nothing. You know what I don't understand? (laughs) If this place has been abandoned for years, where are they getting all their food from? Well, anything. I mean, it's like a completely abandoned building. They have no clean water. That's like a salt water, right? Isn't that the ocean? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. You got uh, big, big cargo ships coming in. They would only be accessible from salt water. Also, they're pretty young orphans. Like, if the school just closed down, why is it so awful already? Like, did the boys <laughs> beat it down? Did it close because it was already super? I mean, it was probably in a state of poor repair before they closed it down. Like, the money was probably running out for a while before the spigot turned off entirely. But, like, the flashback we saw, where Emma was watching the soccer match, she looked nearly the mm. same age, right? And so did uh, Winston. Well, so did these kids, but they also said that it had been closed down for years, so there there might be some discrepancy there. Yeah, it, that was weird. But, so, there's a lot to unpack there. I mean, first of all, you might miss it, but, like, Winston grew up a, a, as an orphan. That's an interesting little little tidbit. No, that, he, he... Or was he on the competing soccer team? He was, he was against Oh, he's them. on the competing one, that's right. Okay, I mean, well, he was on a <laughs> he was going to a proper upper class school, and he was offended that these lower class ruffians thought that right. they could beat them at a at a proper game. Well, that's kind of sad. <laughs> but meanwhile, these boys like I don't know how much more will like I I didn't learn anything about Alfie in the first six episodes that I can recall. He's just is a boy who gets to enjoy like the cosmic world. But yeah, it's kind of interesting they bother bringing it up because it's almost like he's otherwise backgroundless. So they're just like, yep, he's an orphan. He was in this school with these boys, but we're just going to ignore it all. 
I don't think we'll get anything about Alfie because he got all of Seng's memories. So, so I think he got the opposite of what uh, Emma got. Emma got Mildred's personality, but none of her memories. Alfie looks like he got all of Seng's memories, but none of his personality. And it looks <laughs> right. like Edred's the only one who got mostly correct, although even he says, I don't feel right. So I don't know what was what was wrong with the transfer he got, but something was wrong. Right, because they don't really follow up on it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if in the final episode he's going to say anything else, but everything I saw, he operated just like his normal self. But maybe he's better at handling internal conflict <laughs> or something. Yeah, maybe, maybe. But yeah, th- these were... When I first watched these two episodes, it's like, uh, first episode, eh, not the greatest. Second episode, I like where this is going. It was the third episode, the the one we'll talk about next time, mm-hmm. that really sold me on Unicorn. I am looking forward to talking about that one. Yeah, yeah, I I think for what they cut the show down to, it's kind of fascinating to think that the first two episodes, it sounds like for both of us, weren't the most engrossing like there's a lot of interesting stuff going on here as far as you know the world looks really cool i mean as emma's riding away at the end of part one on copernicus you know we just get a lot of great time seeing the steampunk imagination and that's all fun and i i like emma as a character and her central conflict and there's definitely some solid you know visual jokes and you know moments uh, like with Copernicus. I, I enjoyed Copernicus drives like a madman through all the traffic, <laughs> but as soon as you have one little cop at a stoplight, right. I, I'm in obey traffic laws mode. Yeah, and like, that's all cute, but it, you're not sure what it adds up to because it's otherwise very dramatic and serious. And like, I mean, at the end of part two here, it kind of looks like uh, Winston is dead. <laughs> you know, that's extreme, right? We just met this poor sap. He seems like a complete goofball. And it looks like Emma just straight up killed him. And, you know, thank goodness we quickly see that. Well, not even quickly, but we do see that it's resolved in, in the next episode. And he's, you know, okay-ish. But, you know, she just wiped out a whole city town square. <laughs> you know? It, 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 it's an interesting way to start. Definitely not the best power set to be fighting in a city with if you forget how to use your powers properly. <laughs> yeah. I, well, And also, yeah, again, there's so much... I mean, Alfie has a lot of humorous moments, too. Just all of his experience staring down the whales and turtles floating in the cosmic space. And, you know, sometimes he can be helpful and sometimes he won't be. You know, that's a that's a fun character archetype. And he's extremely comically drawn right he has like the grinch smile mm. <laughs> like he, he looks yes ex- <laughs> they do that a lot less later but oh he he is doing the the crooked grinch smile right and oh, his body's so contorted nice. <laughs> like in the way that he's like uh kind of the same posture that a uh, cartoon character floating through the air sniffing like a good smelling pie would look ah uh, yes <laughs> yes oh I, I loved the the music when he beat up all of uh, Alfie's old friends. <laughs> yeah, poor guys. Well, I mean, they came at him. They they, they asked for it. Uh, yeah, they're a rough crowd, though, you know. <laughs> Being orphans and whatnot, I guess. My, my, my one, my one huge, unforgivable thing, though, that the first episode did was they make a big show of Copernicus raising up, 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 up. 
So we can see uh, London, and London is clearly way up above the graveyard, above the fog. Mm-hmm. And then he walks out, and he's walking straight towards London, which is above the fog, at ground level. Not up in the sky. <laughs> um, you know, cinematography. Unforgivable. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I can't excuse that one. That's interesting. It's a good thing those were robots that dug him up, by the way. I I thought at first that they were just poor guys, just some grave Mm -hmm. robbers, and it's like, oh, he just got murdered. (laughs) I really thought there was going to be more of that Samurai Jack robot thing going on, but I guess we just... (laughs) That was like a small little promise for the Gendy fans, or the Samurai Jack fans, to say, yeah, we know that you like the oil blood thing, so we'll do that once, just (laughs) as a treat to start. There's not going to be robot fights constantly in this show, though, even though it's steampunk. A shame it wasn't Edred fighting them with the sword. That would have been good. Twillion of the North. Yeah, a little too on the nose, though. (laughs) Or the ear, in this case. (laughs) Yeah. Is that a good place to end it, or did you have a... Mm, No, there's probably not much to say at this point about the fox lady or the child with the elephant who, (laughs) you know... (laughs) is extremely innocent like again i I don't know how else to or why i need to keep beating this point but we watch a child like so sweetly and innocently playing with an elephant doll saying oh boy i can't wait to meet uh whatever the elephant's name is not tootie lulu Lulu. the magnificent (laughs) yeah like why do we have that scene it sets up just like this poor innocent sweet child wants to for some godforsaken reason, passed by the grave of an elephant that she has a toy of. And uh, then we see her blood-curdling scream and then transition to seeing this elephant attacking. I think it's to set up the, like, this is what Lulu was. This is what Lulu is now. Thank you, evil uh, malevolent force. Right, I guess it's supposed to be signed up like, yes, the evil we're seeing is definitely worth combating. So that, you know, later we can think about how weird this whole situation is. Also, she does the thing that I hate the most in cartoons, where nobody could see the huge hole in the ground where the mausoleum was because they weren't on screen at the same time as it. It's that simple. (laughs) Yeah, well, you know. It's uh, Nightmare Hospital from Steven Universe all over again. (laughs) Uh, It's so funny how those who love cartoons the most can be so tortured by their basic logical rules. (laughs) Oh, you should you should hear me watching an episode of Hogan's Heroes. <laughs> well, that's clearly unrealistic. Do you want to stop watching? <laughs> Heck no, I love this show. <laughs> so, you know, we love it, but we're also clearly aware that uh, there are shortcuts being taken. Mm-hmm. Anyway, guys, that's it for us on The Awakening. Join us next week. Until then, I'm GC13. And I'm David. Don't forget to leave us a review anywhere you listen to podcasts. Later, everybody. Our opening and closing music is by Mark Soto. For more cartoon-related content, please visit LunarCeasefire.com. <laughs>